Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 241 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is the Principal Program Manager at Sentry One, a leading provider of award-winning tools for database management and monitoring. He is a founding board member and former president of the International Professional Association for SQL Server, and he frequently contributes to database technology magazines, websites, and discussion forums. He is also an author or co-author of several books, including SQL in a Nutshell, published by O'Reilly Media, which is now in its third edition. So welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast, Kevin Klein. Well, thank you, Phil. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Kevin, can you perhaps tell us a little bit about your current role as Principal Program Manager at Century One? So Century One actually started many years ago as a hosting provider company, and many of their customers were running SQL Server in their co-located SQL servers. And uh, as the company grew, it began to see that it could actually do better getting away from the hosting and moving towards the management and maintenance and upkeep of the SQL servers themselves. And so they started to build tools to make that happen. And as that grew, uh, it became a very profitable endeavor. And I joined the company after many years at a very large database tools monitoring company in 2010. And since that time, my title has changed several times over the years. But at the end of the day, my main role is to be uh, the public face of the company. So I'm frequently speaking at conferences, both large and small, all around the world. And going to user group tour, for example, I was in Australia, New Zealand, and visiting all the big uh, professional association user groups in the big cities like Bristol, Sydney, Melbourne, uh, Wellington, Christchurch, and so forth. So I'm, I'm constantly out in the field. I'm constantly talking to SQL Server users, uh, whether that be in Azure in the cloud or on-premises, and um, constantly also writing about the lessons learned and, and how we can conduct our business more effectively uh, for better results. And in terms of your engagement with people, obviously, by going out to different conferences like that, you you presumably get to meet a lot of different people from different backgrounds and and different experiences within the industry. Oh, absolutely. It's it's fascinating. One little uh, funny anecdote is that there's something about our business, Phil, where people who were at some point in their uh, lives really dedicated to music, and finally, at some point, they encounter a situation where they're like, you know, I really do need to pay this home mortgage. What am I going <laughs> yes. to do to, to make ends? Oh, you know, I've always been good at computers. Uh, and that one coding class, I t- so uh, one thing that uh, I find I get to talk a lot about with people out in the field is uh, I would say probably a third, about 30% of the people I talk to were really good at music at some point in their life. And that's just an interesting little experience that I, that I found as I travel around a lot. I wonder if there's any sort of, you know, relationship or sort of, tie-in with with this sort of technology way of thinking and music maybe there's some sort of logical link between the two i think there must be you know and and also the 
the way that a musician's brain is kind of acclimated to the idea of I've got to multiply or divide by t- certain time signatures, you know, if they're doing working on a new piece of music. So I, I think there is some kind of overlap that lends itself to being uh, an easy flow from, from the musical side over to the technology side. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, Kevin, can you share with us a career tip, one that the audience may not be aware of and should be? I do get asked this question a lot. Uh, part of the way I've tried to construct my persona in the marketplace is uh, somebody who's not just smart or intelligent, but I, I try to pose myself as someone who is wise. And that's a you know a different kind of uh, mental characteristic than just being smart. And one of the questions I get asked all the time is, you know, what do I need to do? If you could tell me only one thing, what should I do to enhance my career as an IT pro? And my typical answer, my go-to answer is that it's two-part. And the first part is that you need to make deliberate practice of both hard technology skills and soft skills a part of your daily life. Uh, maybe you're not going to be practicing coding today if you're a coder or public speaking today, but you will do it at regular occurrences. And by practicing that, uh, we get better. And, you know, there's a clear evidence from numerous studies from the military, from firefighters, from uh, emergency services personnel that by practicing things in a deliberate way to improve your skills, it pays dividends. The second part of that bit of advice that I give you is don't do it in a vacuum, but rather seek out and find a mentor, someone whose whose career you would like to emulate. And from them, ask them to help you as you go through this uh, training and uh, kind of self-improvement program, but especially on the soft skills side, because what I found is that the hard technology skills for us technologists help dramatically, but they help only up to a certain point. They help you get the new job. They help you move to a, a more exciting position. But once you've been in that job for a year or two, if you want the promotion inside the same company, if you want to go from manager to uh, director, then that's where the soft skills pay enormous dividends, you know, being able to have good conversations with people, being able to ask open-ended questions that really get you to the, the core of the point of discussion. Those are the kind of things that a mentor can really help you understand. Yes, you mentioned it earlier, I think, in what you were explaining. But in terms of identifying who that mentor should be, um, I've heard it sort of phrased in the way that you should look for people who are already going in the direction that you want to go. So they're just a few steps ahead of you. Yes. And it's finding those sort of those people who have the same sort of objectives and thoughts and, and just maybe just have that little bit more experience than you do and can, can you, you can benefit from that. Yes, absolutely. Um, again, you know, someone who you, you admire, who has kind of achieved some of the things that you, you might want to also achieve in your career. An example mentor doesn't necessarily have to be from inside your organization. In fact, I would say the ideal mentor is probably, in, if you're in a large organization, probably someone who is in an adjacent team to yours. So 
in my case, uh, I primarily work with database people, database administrators, data analysts, and stuff like that. So maybe there's someone on the hardware team or the networking team or an architecture team that whenever you encounter them, you're like, wow, that person really is dialed in. They really have some, some good thoughts and some things about their career I'd like to emulate. That way, if they're not in your team, they can kind of, you know, they're, they're free from that sort of conflict of interest sort of things where they're like, well, I can't tell them that we're not going to approve that big project that they're hoping to get attached to. Uh, if they're in a different team, they don't even know about that sort of stuff. So they can just give you blanket advice that isn't, doesn't have to be weighed through the lens of what does the big boss care about, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Good. Okay. Um, Kevin, can you tell us about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? Well, you know, if you're like me, Phil, and you've been in the business for a few decades, there's so many to choose from, right? <laughs> uh, so many things where what we thought would work out well uh, did not work out well. What we, uh, uh, you know, our great technical plans turned out to be very flawed. Again, as I was mentioning earlier about improving your career, in my case, I think my worst career moment was more on the soft skills side. And so I like a, a, a lot of people in IT. I'm not sure if this is well known in the UK, but in the USA, there are statistics and studies that show that the IT profession has a higher percentage of people who suffer from mental health issues like uh, a severe depression or anxiety or things like that. Yeah. And uh, a lot of physicians and, and psychiatrists, psychologists will say, well, it kind of makes sense that a person like this might be drawn toward IT because in the world of IT, you are able to control so much more of your work environment than say, if you worked in retail or you worked in a factory or things like that. So it kind of makes sense if you're thinking about the question of what's the chicken and what's the egg in, in that interplay of mental health and IT professionals. That is the context for my worst career moment. Okay. So I was managing a team. Coincidentally, I also suffer from moderate to severe depression, which is well managed with medication normally. However, oh, once every seven or eight years, the body chemistry seems to change. And so I went through a period of pretty deep depression and it affected my whole team. And, you know, if you've ever heard uh, sayings about uh, related to leadership and how, you know, the fish rots from the head or things like that. So I was in a situation where I was uh, kind of in a, an emotional um, sinkhole and was trying to get through this. But uh, what happens to me when I'm in a situation like that is I become very, um, closed-lipped, and I'm, I'm not speaking nearly as much, I'm not communicating nearly as much, and my team was really feeling the impact from it. And so they had a meeting with me, and they're like, um, you know, we need you to step up or step aside and let somebody else lead us so we can be a productive team. And for me, that was, on the one hand, a very low spot because it was such a visible and personal failing, if you will. But on the other hand, one of the things that we're learning is that this is something that is unique. Well, maybe not unique to people who have mental health issues, but it is something that they, uh, they attach a lot of stigma to. And so uh, by having these kind of uh, meetings and such with the team, we were able to rally 
get things back on track and uh, uh, recover. So it, it has a kind of bittersweet aspect to it because it's like, wow, you know, you, you guys did care enough to, uh, to not just um, throw me under the bus to, um, to HR, right? So it was a situation which we fixed. It was very painful for me because I feel like, no, you know, I, I publicly let my team down. But on the other hand, they caught me and put me back up. So happy times at the, at the end of that horrible experience. Indeed. Yeah. Did you learn anything from that in terms of maybe dealing with it in a slightly different way in the future? Oh, absolutely. And that's a great point. Um, You know, I mentioned that what happens to me when I fall into these spells uh, is that I clam up. I've always been the kind of person that, uh, you know, I'll always admit my mistakes and my failures, but I don't like to make the same ones over and over again, <laughs> I want I want to bravely press on to new mistakes. Um, and uh, so, in this case, yes, uh, it's the sort of thing where now I uh, I try very much more to uh, even over communicate a little bit and be very watchful if it looks like oh, I'm not uh, I'm not putting out um, communications or not seeking those interactions as much. Then I need to be aware of that and I need to uh, to uh, compensate for that. Okay, so moving away from your worst moment, can you perhaps tell us about your career highlight or greatest success? Again, I, I'm, I'm pleased to say that I've had a few. Can I share two? Of course, yeah. <laughs> so on the one hand, uh, you know, as one of the founders of PASS, which stands for the Professional Association for SQL Server, uh, PASS.org, I was one of the founders back in uh, 1998-99, and you know, the internet wasn't really even a thing then. Uh, and we hope to be as large as an organization as, say, IOUG, which is the international or now independent Oracle user group. And around 2010, I was uh, still a member of the board. I'd just uh, come off of my term as, as president. And we stepped out, uh, the board of directors and myself, we stepped out onto the stage for the the kickoff of our conference that year. And uh, there were almost 6,000 people there. And we all kind of looked at each other and we kind of shook our heads and we're like, this labor of love to build this community with hundreds of thousands of members and hundreds of chapters around the world. It was almost a full-time job for which you yeah. get zero pay, you know? And, uh, <laughs> right. And so it was like, wow, this, uh, this is so rewarding to see this community that, you know, you know, will go on, uh, beyond, uh, without you, you know, it's, it's the baby has grown up and, you know, and, and you can just take joy in that and really celebrate that. My second answer was, is, uh, as a similar sort of experience. Um, again, I had joined century one in 2012 and a couple years ago, we started to win lots of awards and, uh, for our products, for our support team and the way they take care of customers. And so, you know, appearing on a database trends and applications magazines, list of um, best products, appearing in other magazines and uh, other uh, kind of trade and industry, such as the Deloitte Fast 500 and Inc. Magazine's review for, uh, you know, really, really cool small businesses. Yeah, that's, that's a great thing because in that case, you're, you're doing a whole, different sort of things around your skill set. You're working to build a corporate culture that's really successful. You're looking to build teams that are successful, technologically skilled and capable of delivering. But again, it's the kind of thing where it's like, ah, all of this hard work has paid off. 
Very much so, yes. <laughs> so, um, I mean, that must have been quite amazing to see that many people in, in one place. Yes, it, it was indeed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you go to a, a big corporate event, say uh, Microsoft Ignite, you know, and there's 14,000 people there. And you're just kind of staggered by the size of it. But then you go to your little side endeavor and you're like, wow, you know what? This is, um, it's half the size of that or a little bit smaller than, but that's still pretty darn big. Yes. Yeah. Very. I mean, it, that, that is the case, isn't it? I mean, that's not insignificant at all. No, no, it's, it's, it's really rewarding. Kevin, can you tell us what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT in particular? In Britain, do you have this TV show, uh, Downton Abbey? <laughs> yeah, we do, yes. <laughs> or is it even made there, perhaps by the BBC? I, I believe it is, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, it was all the craze here in, in the States. And I have a big family. I have one son, six daughters. And uh, so all my girls and my wife were watching the show, and they, and they just loved it. And one of the things I, I, I saw in that show that struck me as very relevant uh, as a sort of analogy for us today in IT is the role of the chauffeur. In, in Downton Abbey, they had, uh, you know, these, these beautiful Rolls-Royce vehicles. And uh, in many of the scenes in which the chauffeur appeared, he wasn't behind the wheel of the car. He was under the car or in the engine of the car, yeah. uh, you know, trying to make sure that this darn thing stays up and running. And I think for me, I think that that is where we are in the trajectory of IT as the chauffeur was in the trajectory of automotive vehicles, right? Every time you want to do something the least bit sophisticated, it takes manual, you know, bespoke effort. Uh, You have to have a bunch of people under the hood cranking on special tools and turning uh, ratchets and, and all of those sort of things. And boy, oh boy, if you forget maintenance, you're not going to go anywhere in that vehicle. However, you know, as time progressed with making vehicles and so forth pretty soon you didn't have to change the tires as often you didn't have to change the fluids or fix the spark plugs and before long now we have automobiles that drive hundreds of thousands of miles with just bare sort of routine maintenance of changing the oil at regular times and so forth i think that we are headed in that direction as it professionals where today it takes enormous amount of this bespoke effort to build any kind of application but things are getting different there's a we're in this really big inflection point with ai and machine learning and things like that where we're getting to where our apps will be able to write themselves at least in many of the different phases of a development project and so from there what we will be able to focus on as it professionals is not the nuts and bolts and the most granular uh, tiny elements of our projects, but we can think about things like um, adding value to the entire enterprise that we're building this app for. So, you know, if you had asked the chauffeur in Downton Abbey, how fast do you think you'll be able to get this this uh, thing to go? And he'd say, you know, I don't know, 50 miles per hour, something like that. And, and if we told him, well, you know, in, a, in just a century, you'll be able to go uh, 250 mile per hour in a vehicle. He, he'd laugh in your face. He'd say, that's impossible. The car would explode. I think we're going to see something similar to that happen very soon. That's very exciting to me because as a kid, I loved Legos. And I think we're getting to where we can, uh, well, I sh- let me back up. 
I love Legos today. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think we're getting close to that. And it's just a a couple years away energizes me to think, okay, we'll be able to build applications very, very quickly in a way that delivers enormous value to the organizations that we support, enabling us to focus not just on, you know, what's the right syntax here and there, but things like what are we even solving the right business problem? Uh, That's some pretty cool stuff. Yes, it is. It would be interesting to see what happens, won't it? I think you're right about the fact that it's sort of almost like building blocks and the ability to then just plug things together will make a tremendous difference in the way we we sort of go about introducing technology. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Okay, so you're going to hit me with something quickly and i got to hit you back with a short Recently, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? Money. Right, that's straightforward. (laughs) (laughs) So um, my dad was an analog computer engineer uh, back when analog, you know, in the 70s, when analog computers were so much faster than digital computers. And he had actually helped me learn Fortran and, and some other things like that. He worked for NASA, and then later on, I got a job working for NASA in my earliest uh, career days. And I, I was interested in a job that was enjoyable, but also one that would uh, provide a, a good standard of living. And I was comparing that to two other positions I was thinking about. I, I was thinking about being a teacher. And the other was, uh, well, I'd love to be a farmer because gardening was one of my, and still is one of my favorite hobbies. And uh, I did a little bit of analysis and I'm like, well, of these three, only the career in IT is going to kind of provide what I was hoping to have in terms of being able to provide for a family. So that's, that's what took me in that direction. Right. Okay. And what is the best career advice you've ever received? That's a tough one. I think one that has helped me rise to the level that I have in my career is to be aware of how you might be perceived by taking one course of action over another, or maybe um, just a general demeanor sort of thing. And by being aware of that, you can actually guide it a little bit more effectively than if you just never think about yourself or focus on self-awareness. Yeah. So slightly conversely to best career advice, have you had any sort of what you might describe as worst career advice? When I moved into my first management position, a small team of five developers and uh, and myself, and uh, the head of the team uh, above me was a former military man, and he said, "You have to show your power. You have to, you know, kind of come down on people when the uh, you know these and such kinds of problems happen." And he was very, um, you know, very kind of strict and regimented in the way he did things. And as I began to try to get a grip on how to be a good team leader. I saw that there was a lot of advice that was contrary to that. And so I learned that really effective IT teams prefer a leader who is more like a coach of a sporting team than an autocrat who commands, or, you know, a general who commands troops. And so that bad advice led me down some uh, dangerous (laughs) roads in terms of interpersonal relationships with team members. Uh, And so I, I had to correct quickly. Found out that, you know, for example, people like for their opinions to be heard. Whereas this uh, leader had told me, no, you don't need that. You just tell them what they got to get done. If you were to begin your IT career again in today's world, what would you do? 
I'm really concerned about the value that businesses extract from their data. And I can illustrate that pretty well with a, a story in which a friend of mine who is a, a lead DBA for a, a medium-sized American company, his boss, the CIO of the company, got off a plane and had the American Airlines Sky Magazine or whatever they call it in his hand. And he came down to their offices and he threw the magazine down on their desk. He had just read an article about big data. And he said, we need to do big data. And the DBAs all looked at each other and the lead DBA looked at him and said, you know, we don't even do little data very well. You know, are you sure you know what big data is and what you want to achieve? So if I were to do things differently today, it would actually be a little bit less probably on the data administration side, database administration, and more on the data science right. side. Right. Yeah. It's interesting, too, as a person who goes to conferences and speaks a lot, you'll find a lot of people who will tell you how to maintain systems better, what DBAs do. But you won't find a lot of people who will tell you how this particular set of algorithms made them 150% more profitable. That's a real trade secret right there. Indeed, yes. And that, of course, that's the important thing to, to the company who are the end user. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that, that's where my heart would take me if I could do it now. What career objectives are you currently focusing on? So um, one of the things that I, I'm trying to do better is something called technology evangelism. And this is really important for people at companies where you're selling something that's a little bit hard or takes a little bit of training to, to implement and execute on. And so you have to bring a little bit of persuasion uh, to the table along with your technology skills. And you have to be able to interact with people when, let's say, if, if you're giving a presentation, many times you'll see great presenters who, who tell you the what. They'll say, this is what you need to know, and these are the benefits that you'll get from learning that what. But when you work in technology evangelism, you, you need to start with um, why, really? Why do you even need this thing? Uh, why is it important to you? And so uh, that's what I focus on a lot now and try to remember to always bring back our discussions to, to why. Uh, you're thinking about buying a particular software package? Why? What problem is it solving? Is it only your problem? Is it many people's problem? Maybe there's a fix for, your, your pro- for the why of your problem that doesn't involve technology at all. All we have to do is change some processes. So those are the kind of things that, that I'm thinking about now. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Well, there's no doubt in my case, it's being able to put together a, a decent sentence. And of course, I'm pausing a lot as I say that. Uh, <laughs> there's an interesting study. You know, the U.S. Department of Defense studies everything that they can that might improve the performance of, of the U.S. military. And they did a study uh, years ago in which they asked the question, what if there is single metric would tell us how likely a West Point cadet is to become a general? What single metric is the best indicator for how far they'll go in their career? And it, it turns out it wasn't you know tactics or logistics or ground command or any of those things you associate with the military. What it turned out to be was how well they did on freshman composition, which is focused on writing essays. How good 
you do in your career, how far you advance as a general, or whether you ever make it to general, was very directly correlated to how well you could communicate a convincing idea or position. And not knowing that this study existed until just a few years ago, I found that that was actually what I had focused on. So uh, yes, I'm, I'm a very competent technologist and I have a lot of skills in technology, but the fact that I could communicate that well, I could write, um, I could speak publicly on different topics, build a, a presentation that didn't put you to sleep, but also conveyed <laughs> that same information. That yes. I think is uh, without a doubt what, what has propelled me to where I am today. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? You know, the old advice about find something that you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life is sort of the case for me. Uh, I do enjoy interacting with people and helping them to come to an understanding of something that solves a problem or makes their life better. And so working into a position in which I get to present and travel and speak a lot, that has a very, very strong energizing component for me. I think a bit of advice, though, that I had to learn myself was that when I get too overwhelmed and when I'm being bombarded by too many stimulus, you know, the, the phone is blinking at me and vibrating in my pocket and, and uh, work coworkers are calling and sending emails. And I found that uh, what really enables me to get recentered and focus back on being productive is to, to take a Sabbath, if you will. Now, in my case, I'm not really specifically talking about a, you know, the biblical term, but I'm talking about a day of respite in which I don't think about any of that stuff. Yeah, I just completely shut the laptop, turn off the phone, don't watch television, or if I do, it's you know, it's simply on in the background with the, something the family is watching. You know, and, and during that time, I'll take a walk, I, uh, a, a hike. I do a lot of gardening. Something that for me is very different than what, you know, I do all day long, which is live in my head. So on my Sabbath, I live with my hands and I do very physical things and completely disconnect from the stress and the stimulus that our world bombards us with. Yeah, indeed. Um, So it sort of leads into the, the final question in this section. So what do you do in your spare time away from technology? I'm one of the original core of people who um, started playing D&D back in 1975. Right. So, <laughs> so uh, I do have a group of uh, friends that we, we play D&D uh, once a week. I have a couple shows that I enjoy. I enjoy reading quite a lot, so I, I read quite heavily. That's my typical pastime, say, after work hours. And as I mentioned, I love music and gardening. So I'm constantly uh, puttering around in my yard here in Nashville, Tennessee, and trying to make things really beautiful and and enjoyable. One quick story on that point, which is kind of fun, was uh, two Father's Day ago, my kids all pitched in together. My oldest kids are adults, and my youngest are just finishing up with high school and college. They pitched in together, and they bought me these glasses called Enchroma Glasses, And what they do is they enable a person who's red, green, colorblind, like myself, to see colors. So I put these glasses on, and it is the most exuberant, (laughs) tearful, crazy thing you can imagine, you know, Phil. Imagine if you tasted sugar or sweet for the first time in your life, and you're 50-something or 40-something years old, right? I mean, it was just 
a life-changing moment to actually see my uh, garden in all of its glory. That made it all worth every moment. Indeed, yeah, it sounds great, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. If you're curious, you could go online and look at YouTube and, and look at colorblind glasses or reveal, colorblind reveal, lots of videos about That'd that. That'd be interesting. I might have a do, time to do that, yes. <laughs> um, Kevin, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT career energizer audience? So my parting advice for you as an IT pro, aside from the things that we've already talked about, I would say spend a little bit of time getting to know yourself becoming aware of your strengths and weaknesses. Perhaps if you haven't ever done so, take some of the psychometric tests that are well-known and well-vetted. For example, the DISC or the Myers-Briggs type indicator sort of tests. And this will do a couple really powerful things for you. If you take those tests honestly and you don't try to like game the test to get a specific kind of result, but you just try to get an honest answer as to, to what it thinks that you're good at and, and your styles of approaching problems. What this enables you to do is going back to what we talked about with coaches. Coaches help you achieve greater performance and help the team you know, meet their and reach their goals. But you really can't do that if you don't have self-awareness, right? If, if you're, I don't know, if you're a batsman in cricket and you're not really good at hitting, then you might be in the wrong job. So what these tests enable you to do is they enable you to answer the question, where should I spend my time? Uh, there's been, again, tons of uh, academic studies that say if a team member spends their time on just shoring up a couple remedial skills, or they spend their time taking one of their really good skills and making them A-plus, star level skills, Let's say, for example, you're a PowerShell person, but you're barely good at it. Getting to where you're really, really good at PowerShell might not be the best in investment of your time if that's not really a big part of what you do. But if you're pretty good, the best person on the team at PowerShell, and you become a rock star at PowerShell, you'll get new job offers because you're so good at it. Yeah. It, you know, it's this concept of the 10x developer, which I don't really believe in, but what the studies show is that if you take a skill that you're moderately good at and become extremely good at, it's an in-demand skill, then you will improve your productivity, your value to the team at a multiplicative level. You know, it's many times greater. Whereas if you spend your time getting better at something that you're marginal at and you can only get as good as average, then that just has a small additive 10, 15% more productive than you were before. So learn about yourself and then apply that to becoming better. Uh, if you've ever seen the, uh, the comic strip Dilbert. Yes. The only person in there who's really a, a villain is the one who has no self-awareness, right? It's the pointy haired boss. Yep. So um, I find that a lot of people in it love working with that machine, not really working with other people. So they don't, they don't really focus on themselves or even other other people around them. And if, if you get to know yourself a little bit better, that's going to pay a lot of dividends. Yes, I think you're right. Definitely. Um, Kevin, finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? Well, uh, thanks for asking. Uh, so on Twitter and LinkedIn, my handle is K.E. Klein. 
I thought, well, if I just take my first two initials of my last name, no one will mistake me for this actor named Kevin Klein. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, I think uh, I get on average two emails a month for the actor. So um, got an invitation a while ago to come to the Melbourne Film Festival. I've had people ask me to read their scripts and things, but okay. <laughs> so K.E. Klein and my email address, K.E. Klein at Outlook.com. And then I also have a website, Kevin E. Klein com that just posts things like where I'll be speaking next, uh, if I've done a, a new video or a new webinar, uh, things like that. Yeah, great. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Oh, thank you, Phil. Really appreciate the invitation. Hi, Phil here again. Just a final few words from me. Firstly, I'd like to thank my guests for sharing their career tips, experiences and insights with us on the show today. As you probably know, There have been more than 200 guests on the show so far, and I'm continuing to try to attract new guests that can provide great insights to all of us. However, to enable me to do this, I need to ensure that the podcast continues to grow and reach an extended audience. And you can help me in doing this by subscribing to the show and providing a rating and review in whichever platform you listen to. Thanks again for your support. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.